Today's episode is brought to you by The Star Draft. Do you feel like you always know the Oscar nominees before they're announced, or wish that you could share just a bit of Meryl Streep's Oscar glory? Well, now you can. Experience awards season like never before. Sign up today to create or join a league at www.thestardraft.com. We share the, the same love, the, the love of film. And now what I'm about to say probably will stir up a lot of conversation around over the country. You commie, homo-loving sons of guns. It's not about you. It's about these characters. They are two of the finest gay Americans, two wonderful men. And I... I'm greatly honored and tremendously moved. Don't let anybody tell you this isn't a terrific thrill. It would be a lie if I told you I didn't know what to say because I've been working on this speech for about 25 years. Well, it's my privilege. Thank you. And welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. Turn around. Let me look at you. I'm Joey Gentile. And my dick is circumstanced. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this is Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category. And we've reached CO18. <sighs> Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. We have moved on to the guys. Second episode. How are you feeling so far with this? Um, to be honest, the guys are not quite as fun as the ladies. Um, but um, some of them are a little easy on the eyes. So I'll give them that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say that it's after doing five full seasons of women and celebrating women and celebrating the women we love of the Academy, some not so much as others. It's uh, it's definitely, it feels weird. Like, it's the same show, obviously, but it just, you know, no more Meryl Streep and no more Jessica, well, we haven't had Jessica Lange since the 90s, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it feels, it's, I feel like it's a whole new show in a way. In a way, yeah. It's a different yeah. uh, vibe. For sure. And, of course, 2018, a uh, little controversial year. Mm-hmm. Not very – many people are not very fond of this year for a couple of reasons, which we'll get into. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, – we're back to the year that we essentially started this podcast. So just like we mentioned with the class of 2018 with the women, um, we haven't really – talked about this i mean we haven't really talked about the men at all except for that bonus episode that we did way back when of the men of 74 um so this will be interesting to see where if we line up in the same ideas yada 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 but i'm just babbling i want to bring in our guest because it is this guy is one of my favorites to follow on twitter um because i am a huge stickler for screen time it plays a big uh, part into where I put someone into leader ca- a lead or supporting category. I'm more screen time to where you are more story. Um, we've said that before. And I have a few bones to pick with this gentleman. But at the same time, I also really appreciate that he does a lot more work, so I don't have to. Um, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between, Matthew Stewart, Screen Time Central. Sir, welcome aboard. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So first question that we always ask our guests, why pick the year that you picked why did you pick 2018 um i picked it first of all because of the multiple like screen time records and uh there was a few years you know in the decade that i considered because of that but i think uh 2018 was the most interesting because of mahershal ali being the longest um 
supporting winner, supporting actor winner ever, and then you got the short, some of the shortest in that category as well. And uh, then you know, I, it, because of the, I thought it'd be fun because of the controversial aspect of the year as well. You know, the films that people love to rag on would be fun to talk about. I thought. Mm-hmm. So. And then of course, Screen Time Central. How'd you get started? Um, that was. It, really got started a long, long time ago when I was a teenager. I, and I've told the story a couple of times, but I, my first one was, um, Fargo. I wanted to see the difference in the two actors from Fargo. Cause I thought they were pretty similar and they have that separate story dynamic going on. So I wanted to see who was actually the lead, um, came to the conclusion that, you know, they both are, which I think most people agree with. Uh, but yeah, that's how I started when I was real young. And then started, you know, I got hooked on doing it, went through my DVDs, went through the library's DVDs, went through Netflix's and Blockbuster's DVDs uh, until I reached the goal of finishing all the winners and the nominees. And then finally had enough or, yeah, had it all together to publish about a year ago. Yeah. So do you actually sit down with like a timed, like a, 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 a stopwatch and just do it that way? I'm so curious at that. Yeah, it's... um. No stopwatch. It's uh, I use mainly the I, I I try to use DVDs most of the time, and I use the DVD like player on my laptop, and so I'm sitting at my laptop with a notebook, and I just kind of mark the entrances and exits in my notebook, and keep trying to get the seconds there and add them up, that kind of thing. That is really time consuming, and I'm really impressed. Yeah. Good for, good for you. <laughs> Brandon, anything before we uh, dive in? So when you consider screen time, uh, you're only looking at when someone is physically in the frame. Is that correct? Yeah, when their body is physically in the frame, like any part of their body. So I don't, uh, there's some people that use, that advocate for like possibility of facial recognition software or whatever. I don't think that's possible because, or it doesn't really apply because, um, you know, sometimes their face isn't on screen, but the actor is still there. You know, it's, so I count their in any part of their body or when their voice can be heard off screen, if they can be heard speaking or um, I say directly making noise off screen. Okay. So, so if you, someone's in a scene and the shot cuts to someone else, you don't mm-hmm. count those four seconds that the shot is completely on the other person. Yeah. If they're totally off screen and silent, then those those seconds, yeah, I wouldn't count. Okay. Yeah. So you'll count voiceover. Yeah, someone narrating the scene. Yeah, interesting. And then I don't count like photographs, like still frames or photographs. I don't count those. I decided that early on that that's not really, especially like pictures of the actor. That's not really a the actor on screen. That's you know that's just a choice I made. Nice, nice. Well, um, I wanted to mention too the re. Uh, Big reason why we had you on is obviously we wanted to have you on, but I also need to thank you because I came to you a while ago and was like, hey, by any chance, have you done or can you do August Osage County? So you really helped me out for that um, episode, which I don't know. Did did you get a chance to hear that episode at all? I did. Yeah, I listened to that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I uh, I was like, anything else before we dive in? Um, but. So what are your thoughts on that really quick? Because like I said, with that, I did have a little insight with Misty Upham being my friend to where mm-hmm. um, the cast agreed to all go supporting because it was an ensemble. 
Um, so despite what the cast wanted to do and the pack they made a la Modern Family, mm-hmm. um, what are your thoughts on that when it comes to Julia and Meryl really quick? Would you have counted them at, or counted them all as supporting? Because I know in, on your thing you counted Julia as lead, which mm-hmm. I think, Brandon, you said you were for, but I was definitely against. Yeah, I consider Julia and Meryl co-leads and everyone else is supporting. Yeah, I feel that way as well. I And I've... You know, if you look on Twitter, I've seen, or I don't know if you've seen, where I don't really use the ensemble argument very often, I, and I'm, I use it sometimes, but it has to be a case like uh, Nashville or something where like there's, where like everybody's screen time is low, like under 20%, and there's multiple different storylines going on. If it's a movie like August Osage County where there's just one storyline, uh which is most movies, there's one storyline. I, I, I try I try to find a lead and I try to like look at, that's when I usually look at, at the screen time. And, and in that case, they both were clearly ahead of everybody else. Gotcha. Same with me. I think the only two movies that we've done that I've considered true ensembles are Nashville and Gosford Park. Yeah. I don't think there's any other movies we've talked about on the show that I've considered true ensembles. Mm-hmm. And I am not in that camp. <laughs> nope. If it has more than six actors in it, it's an ensemble for you. <laughs> <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Yeah, but he's right. Um, okay, anything else before we dive in? I don't no, think so. Me. All right. Brandon, why don't you take us away? Okay, well, your nominees for Best Actor in a Supporting Role in 2018 were... Mahershala Ali, Green. start with our winner for the year that is Mahershala Ali winning for Green Book this is his second of two wins and nominations so right now he has a perfect record at the Oscars going into this he was sort of the industry favorite as he wins the Golden Globe BAFTA SAG and also the Critics Choice Award and he's also recognized with a handful of regional critics awards both wins and nominations in Green Book Mahershala Ali plays Dr. Shirley a black classical pianist touring the deep south of the 1960s. So, Matthew, how do you feel about Mahershala Ali and Green Book? Um, let's see. I appreciate his performance. I, I think it's I think it's good. I, it's decent um, for what it is. Uh, but it's not. I don't think it's anything great. I think he's better in Moonlight for sure. Um, don't fully, you know, support the the win. I, I understand the win, but I don't really support the re, you know why he won. Um, but yeah, I just I don't have any, I don't have much to say about it. I just think it's a decent performance for what the film is. So I really like Mahershala, Mahershala Ali. Um, this was I remember after I originally seen this movie, and then obviously Oscar buzz came out. I think it was actually we had probably just met right as this movie had come out. So yeah, we weren't even in production yet for the first season of Academy Queens. 
and I had like, so I'd seen this movie and I was like, oh, you know, I enjoyed this movie. I, you know, I see its criticisms and why, you know, people have it, what it is. And would it be my best picture winner of the bunch that were nominated? Fuck no. But I don't hate the movie. Um, I actually enjoy it a lot. Um, and I, so I remember going into this Oscar season and being like, well, Mahershala isn't really on screen until Vigo's around and Vigo brings him in and out. Is he supporting? Is he lead? And then Screen Time Central had <laughs> gone out and I was like, oh, yeah, um, about that possible curiosity of where he's placed um, wrong ass category. This is a co-lead um performance uh with him and vigo and it's it's a, it's a shame though because he's not bad but he's not great and in the end you know i'm just looking at this like diane ladd and i'm just like you know greed and studio corruption and yada 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 because let's just be honest him going supporting was only just to rack up more oscars for um for green book you know so while it's not bad, it's not great, and he's in the wrong category. So I've been a fan of Mahershala Ali uh, basically since middle school. He was on this little sci-fi show called The 4400 that I was really big into. My little nerdy ass uh, was really fascinated by this show that he was on uh, that didn't always know how to utilize him, but whenever they gave him... Uh, a juicy subplot or a meaty scene, he always did really well with it. And so um, time went by and then uh, he comes out with Moonlight and he's fantastic in Moonlight and uh, loved him in that. And then here in Green Book, I feel like we have a very similar situation where he is a very competent actor. He is incredibly talented, but this movie doesn't always play to his strengths. I agree with Matthew that it's a perfectly fine performance, but it's nothing very interesting. I don't find the character very interesting. Now, this is based on a real person, and I'm sure the actual Dr. Shirley was a thousand times more fascinating than what we're seeing on screen, and that's not entirely Mahershala's fault. I think uh, the, the writing of it and the directing of it um, let him down in a lot of ways, and it's kind of sad seeing someone as talented as him, not being able to really seize upon a lot of opportunities. This movie seems like it's way more interested in Viggo Mortensen. Uh, basically from start to finish, uh, Mahershala is given a few scenes to really pull focus, like the scene in the shower, uh, for instance. And um, I'm a little iffy on category placement. I understand the argument that people make that it's definitely Vigo's show and the main story concerns uh, Vigo's character and Mahershala Ali is basically along for the ride, if you will. But I also you know, recognize that the screen time is a factor for a lot of people. And um, as it's been established on this show, I'm not, you know, I don't look at screen time as the primary um, factor when evaluating category placement, but it is a factor. So um, all things considered, I'm very on the fence uh, with Mahershala Ali's placement here. With with my uh, Twitter thread, which I'm not sure all your listeners are aware about, it's just I'm trying to, um, I, I set out to like categorize myself each and every 
Oscar-nominated performance from 1936 on. So, and then I I am naming the ones one per day that uh, I think were in the wrong category. You know, and I'm calling that category fraud just as a blanket term. Um, but yeah, Mahershal Ali is one that I didn't include on my thread, which means that he, I thought he belonged in supporting. And I, I made it, you know, I made it, I've said, I've said a couple times that I just, I, I wanted to make like clear cut decisions. I didn't want to leave anybody up in the air. So I didn't want to be on the fence about anyone. So I made the clear decision that he was supporting. Um, explain that a little bit in the, in the thread, but I said that basically that he, uh, it has a lot to do with, like you said, the directing and the writing. It's it's a story told by um, Tony's family and white people, and Dr. Shirley's family has spoken out and said that they don't appreciate the film and they don't like the way the story was told. Uh, so that's one factor that goes into it. And then I, I don't think he plays a very active role. It's not a very, like I said, not a very interesting role. He doesn't get very many moments to to himself to shine, uh, to really lead the action. Um, he is really just there to take Tony through his arc to cure his bigotry, and uh, he helps that along. He's like a, and I said in, the, in my Twitter thread, he's like a conscience trope, like a Jiminy Cricket with a little more development than that. Uh, that's how I see him. So definitely interesting ideas, and the Jiminy Cricket um, comparison actually. I, I, I see what you mean, because like I said, like going into this Oscar season, I was like, oh, he's, you know, he's supporting, you know, it's Vigo that takes him in and out. But that screen time, man, you can't convince me otherwise. I'm sorry. Um, but I, I definitely see I definitely see what you both are saying. So next we have Adam Driver nominated for Black Klansman. This is his first of two nominations. He does not really win anything major going into this, but he is recognized with the Globes, BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, the Indie Spirit Awards, and the Gotham Awards. In Black Klansman, Adam Driver plays Flip Zimmerman, a police officer who goes undercover within the Ku Klux Klan and eventually becomes a leading figure in the process of taking them down. So, Joey, how do you feel about Adam Driver in Black Klansman? So I find this nomination to be fascinating, to be honest with you, because I love Black Klansman. I think all around it's a pretty praised film. I'm not, I mean, I don't think I've truly met anyone who doesn't like Black Klansman. But I find it so interesting that Driver is the one to get nominated here, especially over John David Washington. Um, despite the three times that I've seen Black Klansman, I don't really leave it thinking of Driver, nor do I even remember what he does in this movie. Um, he just, for me, kind of blends in with everybody else because Washington is so brilliant here. Um, so this was a head-scratcher of a nomination for me. Um, he's not hes not bad, but he's not memorable to me. I, I mean, I truly don't understand what he's doing here to get a nomination. Plus two, this was like outside of star wars really i was a huge fan of the show girls and hbo at least the first three seasons so i've always known adam driver as the character of adam so this was the first time i truly felt that i saw what he could do because of the first star wars really didn't give him anything to do i feel and i wasn't a fan of this that jedi one either 
Um, so like I didn't didn't really care. Um, this though was like okay. I can see he can do something outside of girls, but I'm just not connecting the dots here to an Oscar nomination. So again, while not bad, just not memorable. Um, yeah, I agree that with the sentiment that, yeah, he isn't very memorable in the role and um, he doesn't make too much of a lasting impression on the viewer. Um, he is good and I appreciate him as an actor as well. I think he's a really interesting um, personality as an actor and he gets interesting roles. And, um, you know, I, I don't have anything negative to say about his, his performance, but there's nothing to rave about either. Um, I do think he's really well cast, like it was good casting and he brings more to the role than I think most others would. I don't think he's totally forgettable. I, you know, I think he did some, some good work there. Uh, and he makes, um, he makes Flip a very likable character. He makes him stand out a little more than, like I said, more act other actors would. Um, and you know, the film, is of course one of Spike Lee's best. It succeeds in getting its message across, and um, I think Driver, you know, helps that helps that cause. I feel a very similar way to both of you. Uh, Adam Driver has shown in the last what seven or eight years, uh, he's a pretty dynamic performer, um, really capable of going to some pretty extreme places uh, when it's called upon. Here, though, um, that's not exactly the case, and um, that's not really a diss on Driver for his performance. The role just doesn't really um, demand that. Uh, what he does do pretty well here, um, when he's undercover, he has this very flat way of delivering his lines, a very intentional way of being flat that I really dig, um, like the, the, um, the lie detector test scene when he's talking to that... Uh, that KKK member about the Holocaust. And uh, the guy doesn't believe that the Holocaust is real, that it's all some conspiracy by Jewish people to receive sympathy or whatever. And Driver turns it around and makes a case uh, for the Holocaust existing, but by convincing him that it's all an evil scheme. Uh, but he does it in a way that's very chill. It's chilling in a very uncomfortable way. And um, it makes sense. He's he's a performer performing. Um, I just think I've said on a few episodes here that some of my favorite scenes are when an actor is playing a character who is acting. And so much of Adam Driver's performance in Black Klansman is his character performing. And uh, the choices he makes uh, in this sort of actorception of it all is uh, very fascinating to me. The way he chooses to not so much act, but just sort of say the words and considering the context of what's going on in the scene it can have a pretty um bone chilling effect at times so um i think he's doing pretty well with what he's given to work with here even if he's not um shining a light upon himself or sucking all the air out of the room like some other showier supporting performances can but um i think he's pretty solid here in black Klansman. i think this is one of spike lee's best films in a while would you guys be in the same boat with me if, you know, I mean, this is why we do the show. Like, if we ran the Oscars and it was a single vote, who would we give it to? But, like, um, putting Topher Grace in his position? Because I would. Mm. Mm. No. I okay. So. Fuck uh, me. So. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking, like, if I would have put supporting somewhere for Black Klansman, it probably would have gone to Topher Grace because he's so over the top. 
like it's one of those like Leslie Ann Warren or Jennifer Tilly over the top actor moments. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I personally would, but you know, fuck me, I guess. <laughs> I liked Hover Grace's performance too. I agree that it's, I agree with everything he said, Joey, that, um, that, I, and he might be worthy of a nomination. I, I, the thing is, I'm not so sure if I would boot driver for him. So I'm, you know, with there only being five spots, I don't know if I would necessarily, you know, take take one out to put the other in. But I think he would, if he were to make it in on his own, um, he'd be deserving. I, I wouldn't fight that. I wouldn't be upset with that. Yeah, I wouldn't be mad if Topher Grace were nominated, but I don't think I would. Uh, if I had to be one, I don't think I would boot driver for him. Gotcha. Next, we have Sam Elliott, nominated for A Star is Born. This is his first and only nomination. Going into this, he gets a somewhat major precursor. He wins with the National Board of Review, and he's also recognized with SAG, Critics' Choice, and the coveted AARP Movies for Grownups Awards. In A Star is Born, Sam Elliott plays Bobby, the older brother and surrogate father to Jack, um, and he gets to witness his younger brother's rise and fall from grace. So, Matthew, how do you feel about Sam Elliott in A Star is Born? I love this performance, and I kind of, um, you know, I could go on and on about it. But I think, first of all, he's one of the few aspects of this, of the classic Star is Born story that had been done three times before. Um, he's one of the few elements that's unique to this version um, that brother relationship slash surrogate father relationship. Um, and it's such a smart, important addition. It gives Jackson Maine a deeper development, explains his whole way of being really. He, he imitates literally um, his older brother in, his, in everything he does. Um, so I just, I'd, I really appreciate that, that addition to the story. Um, and Elliot is, is a perfect casting as well uh, for for the role uh it's about his screen time he um is the shortest supporting actor sport shortest performance nominee of the decade totally in supporting actor or supporting actress um by percentage and number two by screen time um and then overall like all time he's number 10 in both so he's the 10th shortest performance ever nominated period um at eight minutes 45 seconds and six percent um and his performance is very short but it's um it's one of those that one of those really short ones where like every minute every second is filled with brilliance it's packed full of um of just brilliant moments and it's impossible i I don't think he's that's a forgettable role at all i think he leaves such an impression on the viewer that he sticks with you um the way he's able to show such deep emotion without ever going the top over the top i think is amazing and you know just on on top of that i think um you hear the argument a lot that you know people get nominated for not really doing anything those and it's a lot of shorter roles um but if you look at the ones that are mentioned a lot it's like more like the 15 minute ones 16 17 minute ones um and not so much the ones that are under 10 you know there's a few select few that are um between like five and 10 minutes where a lot of those are like Elliot's performance where there's a lot of good stuff packed into those minutes and they, there's no like wasted time where they're not really doing anything. Um, 
so I think it, you know, having his role be so short was a little deliberate choice. Um, it it works out really well for the story because you know, even though it's such a small role, he uh, he plays it extremely well. I just you know love that performance. So this was for me the first time in a long time when an actor got a supporting nomination in either category where it truly felt like a supporting role, if that makes sense. A handful of scenes, X amount of time in this big sprawling epic. I wouldn't say this is an epic, but you know what I mean? Like this big sprawling movie. And we have this thing called the Penelope Milford effect, where it's the true supporting player who comes in, does what they have to do to carry the story for everyone else and move it along and lube it up and make sure it goes smooth and yada, yada, yada. And I really got that from Sam Elliott here. Um, And I, I find it fascinating that this was his first nomination and that his narration for this ceremony didn't provide a practically secured lock, but I guess truly nothing is ever quote unquote secure when it comes to the Academy. Um, so that's a little baffling to me, you know, here's a, uh, an actor everybody seems to love, um, finally getting his due, but his whole thing is the nomination is the win. Um, not really sure if, Again, I, again, I've said before, like, if you're nominated, you have a one in five shot of winning. But I'm not really sure where he would have happened in this lineup here. Um, but there's uh, something really touching, obviously, about this story when it comes to the men. And obviously, we'll get to Bradley Cooper here in a moment. But the scene where he drops off Jackson, Bradley's Cooper, and is crying in the car and goes to back up is gut-wrenching because you if you know the story of a star is born you know that the the guy dies and this was the first time that i think like a character knew that this destruction was going to be the end of him and by this character i mean um elliot's character so he knew that this was going to be the last time he saw his brother and it's just it's fucking heartbreaking and you it really moves you and it's um it's it's amazing. I really really love this performance. I also really love uh, Sam Elliott in A Star Is Born. Um, Sam Elliott is someone who has been in the industry for decades. I'm pretty sure he has over a hundred credits to his name. Um, he's been around for a long time, and I really love that he was finally able to get some recognition with the Academy. Um, granted, he hasn't always been given oscar-worthy quote-unquote material and that's you know not his fault that's the nature of the industry and how casting works but um i'm so grateful that bradley cooper was uh confident enough to give sam elliott this opportunity because uh elliott really runs away with it he is only in a few scenes but he truly makes the most of every second that he's on screen uh, whether he's punching bradley cooper in the face or consoling Lady Gaga. Um, That car scene um, where they part ways for the final time is so stirring and so much of that has to do with Elliot's look um, as he's reversing the car. Uh, Something I also really like about 
this performance is Sam Elliott is such a man's man. The persona of Sam Elliott, the types of roles he's had over the years, the types of movies he's been in, there's a very masculine presence um, to Sam Elliott. And in this movie, he is able to display a range of emotions that I'm not sure he's ever really been able to display before. Um, granted, I have not seen all of Sam Elliott's films. Perhaps there are some gems um, within his body of work that I'm unaware of, but um, from what I know of him, um, this is the most dynamic that I've seen Sam Elliott on screen, especially considering how few minutes he is actually there. So um, I think there is a lot going on for him and um, he elevates the film and he is a supporting player who manages to leave a lasting impression. Um, I wouldn't say he upstages Cooper or Gaga, but he definitely leaves his mark upon every scene that he's in. Yeah, I will say, I just want to comment off of that really quick. I do believe for a long time, um, Elliot was kind of known as the Marlboro man of the acting world. And so that whole idea of like the man's man kind of is on point. I mean, it is very brand of him. So yeah, I would agree with you there. Yeah, so he gets to have that sort of fatherly presence here in this movie, considering his relationship to Cooper. He has a very paternal vibe, but that uh, doesn't mean that he's closed off emotionally. I like that he's able to tap into some things here that he hasn't been able to show before. Mm -hmm. Next, we have uh, Richard E. Grant nominated for King. Can You Ever Forgive Me? So far, this is his first and only nomination. Going into this, he wins the Indie Spirit Award, the New York Film Critics, the Dorian Award, and he wins the coveted AARP Movies for Grownups Award. He's also recognized with the Globes, BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, Gotham, and the National Society of Film Critics. In Can You Ever Forgive Me, Richard E. Grant plays Jack, the friend and confidant to Melissa McCarthy's Lee Israel. So, Joey, how do you feel about Richard E. Grant, and can you ever forgive me? What a gay old time this character is. Um, we all know that tired old queen who hangs out at the bars, who has stories because the those eyes have been in seen places. You know his dick has been in seen places because he has made his way around. And that is such a true testament to Grant's performance here because he truly is that old tire queen we all know in the gay community. Um, and bravo to him. It's a fantastic performance. It's so subtly comedic too. Like it's such a smartly, smartly, it's such a smart written like well done script of a or a character in the script and as everyone knows a script is in a movie or just words on a page until it you know you have to get the right actor to to bring it to life this is one of those performances where you see it and you're like i don't know if anyone else could have done this um you know i knew grant and have always known grant from spice world i mean i was you know huge spice girl fan still am movie came out when I was in kindergarten and was obsessed with it. And I was like, oh, it's the guy from Spice World. 
And I am so glad that after this performance, I can now say, oh, that's Richard E. Grant and not the guy from Spice World. Um, yeah, I have some preliminary notes here. And then I was looking at them as you were speaking, Joey, and, I, and you kind of said a lot of what I said. So I'm just going to reiterate. Um, but it's, it's interesting that we, we kind of thought the same way about this. Um, yeah, one of the things I love about this nomination is that he brought it, that it brought some well-deserved recognition to a great character actor like Richard E. Grant who has been around for such a long time, but I personally never really noticed. I um, had seen Spice World when I was a kid. It wasn't a big, you know, I'm not like an adult fan. So I, I didn't know him from anything is what, is what I mean. Um, so this, you know, I'm glad that I know who this actor is now and I can follow this actor and see his career flourish um, in this late stage. And that's that's one thing that's always, that's it's, it's a good thing when that happens with an Oscar nomination. So I like that that happens here. Um, He's really great in this role, and I also agree that I don't think anybody else could have done as well as he did. Um, I can't really think of any other actor that would have been better. Um, he's got such a great way as an actor of conveying confidence and self-assurance and as well as intelligence and class and humor on top of that, like I said, subtle um, comedic timing. Uh, he's got it all, and he brings that all to this role, um, makes it really special, and uh yeah, it's just a really good, it's a really good, well-rounded performance. He really brings, brings a lot to the to the film. So I'll admit, I did not know Richard E. Grant by name until this movie came out. Uh, he had, of course, been in several things that I had seen over the years. Uh, I had seen Spice World way back in the day, and of course, he's in Gosford Park, and he was in Jackie just a couple years before this. But um, I didn't know the name Richard E. Grant until this film, and upon seeing this performance, um, it's the kind of performance that asks you, why didn't you know this person's name until now? Because he is so freaking good. He commands every scene that he's in. Again, I wouldn't say he upstages Melissa McCarthy, but he matches her pretty much beat for beat. And she is giving a fantastic performance in the film and he is matching her fantastically every step of the way. He is hilarious. He is all-knowing. Um, I feel like most young gay people know that older gay who uh, becomes a bit of a, a, I don't know, a mentor in a sense. And um, I think he embodies so much here and uh, is able to craft a completely well-rounded three-dimensional character that you find yourself rooting for and wanting to know personally he's the kind of person you want to get a martini with and just gossip about all kinds of nonsense uh he's fabulous here and um i can't wait to see what he's uh doing next uh i have a hard time believing that this will be his only time um receiving recognition from the academy yeah, um, that's funny that you mentioned, like, the older mentor gay, because I, it, I instantly thought of, like, you know, most drag queens, when they start doing drag, have what's called drag mother. And if you're lucky enough as a young gay, like, if you're in a, a big city, it doesn't really happen with um, uh, people from smaller towns. But you happen to find that gay mentor who kind of teaches you the ropes. I know I personally did. 
because I never I remember stepping into my first gay club and I'm like, wow, this is not like Babylon from Queer as Folk at all. Like I feel ripped off. And you know, you you have that person. So I weirdly find that I, Richard E. Grant's character would have been mine because I'm not that big of a hot mess, but I am a mess. So it feels personal in a way. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned drag queens because uh, Richard E. Grant has a movie coming out uh, next year called Everybody's Talking About Jamie, where he plays a drag queen. And uh, he's already getting some early Oscar talk. So we'll see what happens there. Richard, Richard E. Grant, the patron saint of gays. Basically. We have our first question um, for this lineup uh, from Film Lore. Richard E. Grant had some hype before the ceremonies to win. What do you think it was about Mahershala Ali's performance in Green Book that made him win his second supporting actor Oscar in two years and killed Richard E. Grant's vibe? Matthew? Um, I think mainly because of the love for Green Book as a film compared to the love for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Um, obviously, one I I think, and I think it's kind of it's an opinion, but it's, it's a shared opinion among most people that can you ever forgive me is the better film, but um, it's, it's just the automatic, the, the general love for green book over that one. And for Ali as an actor, you know, like I said, Richard E. Grant was a respected actor in his sixties and he'd been around it for a long time and done a lot of things, but Ali was having a moment, you know, for a few years, he just won. Um, it's kind of afterglow from that. And also I kind of, no, you know, if you if you think about it too, best supporting actor wins um, are usually tied to best picture nominees um, or winners. Uh, hasn't really happened that much that it's been a winner from a non-nominee um, in the past like 20 years or so. So that's that kind of hurt Grant's chances as well from a statistics point. I think there was just more momentum for Green Book. I mean, it ends up being the best picture winner. So I think it stands to reason that the people who voted for Green Book uh, for Best Picture likely also voted for Ali for Supporting Actor. Uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me is, by and large, the better film. But um, I also suspect that fewer people watched it than watched Green Book. And um, it just lacked the, uh, the popularity with a large portion of the Academy. Yeah, I, I'll third that um, Can You Ever Forgive Me is definitely the better of the two movies. Um, I will say this, you know, I agree with everything you guys have said. I don't think I have seen more of a rally from like film Twitter for a singular actor for a performance like I did that season with Richard E. Grant because it seems like everybody was bummed that he didn't win. Um, so it's it's interesting to see the, you know, it's one of those examples that you know, the Academy might think one way while everyone else thinks another, clearly. Um, but yeah, I agree with you, what you guys said. Okay, well, our fifth and final supporting actor nominee is Sam Rockwell, nominated for Vice. This is his second of two nominations. Uh, going into this, he does not win anything, but he is recognized with the Globes and BAFTA. And in Vice, Sam Rockwell plays a war criminal named George W. Bush. You might have heard of him. And uh, Matthew, how do you feel about Sam Rockwell and Vice? First of all, I you know I really respect Sam Rockwell as an actor. I know a lot of people do and have seen him as a great character actor for a few decades. Um, but this is just a performance that really didn't reserve, deserve um, Academy of Recognition, I think. 
it just didn't deserve to be on the radar. Um, it's just a well-done caricature. That's really all it is, I think. Um, I don't hate the performance. It just shouldn't have come anywhere near the Oscars and had to do a lot with his own afterglow um, from just one year before when he won uh, for three billboards. But yeah, that's my biggest beef with his performance is that he, um, he was okay, but he, he took a spot from um, more deserving actors like Nicholas Holt uh, for The Favorite or somebody from uh, Beale Street or, you know, somebody like that that, that would have a, a good, an actual good performance, you know, and that's about it. Well, I will say justice for Nicholas Holt, for sure. Great, great performance. Um, I think Vice is one of those movies that is a terrible fucking film, but actually boasts some good performances for the people who can do it. But I, so I am going to disagree with you with this. The Oscar shouldn't touch this because I and I get Rockwell gets a lot of shit for this. And that's, you know, fine. That's one side of the argument. Um, but he is doing a caricature parody of George W. Bush, because we all know how over the top at what we thought would have been the biggest toddler of our time in the White House of presidents. Um, he's fantastic at it. He's really stupidly funny for such a stupid person. And it is really good. I have zero complaints about this. Um, there is not a moment like when he is on screen that I don't in don't or do not not enjoy him. Um, I think this is a great one. And I think this is a well-deserved nomination and sure. Some afterglow may be a part of it, but I do kind of think that even if he hadn't been nominated for three billboards or even one, he would have still snuck in there. Um, we all kind of knew it was happening the moment the globes nominated him, because I remember a lot of people were like, what is he doing there? Yada, yada, yada. And of course, you know, the globes, made Vice their most nominated film that year, but um, this is definitely a deserved nomination. I have mixed feelings on this one. Uh, Rockwell is um, someone who I've admired for a long time as a character actor. I think uh, I think I've been a fan of him since uh, Galaxy Quest. Uh, I was a big fan of him in that, and uh, I've just enjoyed when he's popped up in things over the years since. Um, here in Vice, he is hammy as hell, he is, you know, not really playing into subtlety in any way. But in a weird way, it kind of works in this movie because this movie is so all over the place and just tonally weird and crazy and hijinks ensue uh, in its own unique way. And for some reason, his performance seems to fit that mold. Um, isolating the performance, it's not, you know, one that I would normally gravitate toward it's a little cartoony and two-dimensional, but um, I think that's intentional uh, considering who he's playing. And I I don't know if I would say he's aware of what movie he's in because I don't know if the people making it knew what movie they were making until it was all edited together. So I'm not sure about that. But um, I guess I get why the nomination occurred. Um, for some reason, this is a movie that the Academy was determined to recognize and yeah he's got the afterglow from his win just uh recently and um i don't know i guess i have mixed feelings i don't hate it uh considering the bigger picture of it all but i'm also not exactly a fan of it uh on its own or really within the greater work 
that is Vice, considering I'm not really a fan of Vice. So yeah, I have a very sticky feelings about it. I love how one side you had Matthew, on the opposite side you had me, and you're like smack dab in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll um I'll agree with you that it, his performance kind of works for the type of film that it is, a kind of all over the place. Um, and I'll have more to say about that when we get to Christian Bale, but um, that's that's that has become kind of Adam McKay's style. Um, I think it worked better for The Big Short. It doesn't work as well here, um, but in the context of that type of film, um, his performance, you know, works a little better. But um, I just think I think the film in, in general was kind of uh, hodgepodge and not, and then really, like you said, they, the, the actors may have not even understood what kind of film they were making when they were doing it. So uh, you can tell kind of the disjointedness of it and yeah. Yeah, the movie's not very good, and I can always just – I always just think back to that fucking musical scene that I'm so happy they deleted. But at the same time, it's like – it's not like it even helped the movie <laughs> any more with it not being there, so they just might have well kept it in. Oh, that was a choice. Indeed. All right. Your lead actor nominees for 2018 were – Christian Bale. Let's start this year with Willem Dafoe as Vincent Van Gogh in At Eternity's Gate. This is his fourth of four nominations, and going into Oscar night, he has only nominations from Golden Globes, an actor in a drama, Critics' Choice, and the National Society of Film Critics. In At, At Eternity's Gate, again, Willem plays Vincent Van Gogh, and this is like – this is a movie that is somewhat a biography, I feel, mixed with somewhat of a fantasy. I'll be interested to get your guys' take on this because this is how I view it. Um, where it's really all about an internal struggle with life and how Vincent got through. Um, Matthew, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I like um, the term, you know, biography mixed with fantasy. I think that's that pretty much sums it up. Um, I, when I think about this movie, I can't help but you know compare it to um, *Lust for Life*, the 1956 Kirk Douglas movie that uh, where he was nominated for playing Vincent Van Gogh as well. Um, it basically covers the same ground. You see a lot of the same um, parts of his life covered, uh, including his relationship with uh, Paul Gauguin. Uh, it's, I think it's a big improvement on the story, but uh, you know, um, we've had 62 years to improve uh, filmmaking by this point. Uh, I like Lust for Life, but the way the story is told here is just so much more moving and compelling and, and interesting and artistic and, um, has a lot to do, I think, with Defoe's fully committed performance and um, Julian Schnabel being the director. And, um, you know, he's been on a roll for the past few years, the last part of the last decade. I'm glad he's getting so much well-deserved recognition. Um, I think he's really good here. I like this performance. I'm into it as well, for the most part. Um, 
this is uh, kind of like what Joey was saying. It's a biopic that almost takes place within within a dream. It's a super moody, uh, very aesthetic uh, biopic. Um, it often doesn't feel like it takes place within the real world. Uh, it's a it's almost like a, so there's uh, when you're adapting a story, sometimes uh, novels do not lend themselves well to adaptation because oftentimes it can take place within a person's head a little too often. Um, that's why a lot of people say the crime and punishment, uh, the Dostoevsky story has never really been successfully adapted because so much of that takes place within inside the protagonist's head. And I think uh, Julian uh, Schnabel's really able to capture that on film. I think we are seeing uh, Van Gogh's fears, uh, his anxieties, his depression um, in a very unique way. Uh, and Defoe plays into it uh, pretty well. Um, this is a case where I think he was very aware of what his director was going for. And uh, it seems to be a joint um, collaboration between them to really capture um, this historical figure and um, not only depict um, his life events, but uh, where he was mentally um, at these different points in his life. Um, and uh, Defoe is completely committed to it. And um, he is definitely, you know, going the full Defoe here in at Eternity's Gate. And um, I'm not sure if I'm a huge fan of the movie overall, but at the very least, I admire what it's going for. And uh, its execution is uh, unlike a lot of biopics that have come before it or in the couple of years since. So this is our first time getting to talk about Defoe, which I'm actually pretty excited about because as a whole, I think Defoe is fantastic. I also find it interesting that he reminds me a little bit of like Helena Bonham Carter with her nominations. Like Helena Bonham Carter has been known to give these amazing quote unquote quirky, kooky performances that have very much become like a signature. And Defoe is like that. So I find it interesting that none of the, his four nominations are really for like Defoeisms. I mean, the, the, the guy had one in the eighties for platoon. Then he came back for shadow of the vampire or shadow of vampire in 2000 literally seemed to quote unquote disappear from the industry radar. I mean, he did these films like, you know, Antichrist and of course, Spider-Man. And, but when it, when I mean that, like the Oscar radar, because if you think about earlier in the decade, like at the start of the decade, Defoe was one of the first actors to hit our generation with becoming a meme. Um, and so people who aren't, Oscar people or big movie people knew him as the meme guy. I know you guys know what what I'm talking about, like that big corny smile meme. Um, it's from Spider Man. Yeah, with with him in it. And then so he, then he popped out like the Florida Project, which we'll get to this, and then last year with the Lighthouse, and really kind of had a defoissance, what I would call, which I'm surprised no one caught on to with that. Um, but yeah, you know, so it's interesting. Now, him here, if there is a movie that is the truest definition of artsy fartsy, it's at at Eternity's Gate. I'm not a huge fan of the movie. Um, the movie feels like something Terry Gillum would have done, but worse. 
like and I'm not saying like Terry Gilliam's like a bad actor or a bad director. I mean he gave us like you know the Fisher King, but this kind of feels like a mix between Terry Gilliam films, uh, Tideland and the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus in a way, um, just not as interesting. And yeah. Defoe is very subtle here. This is not a showy performance. Um, I, it was funny though because I didn't, I did not hear about this movie until the Globes had come out. Like I was like, what the fuck is this movie? Like I hadn't, I had not heard a smidgen of talk about it at all. And so I actually didn't see this until the week of the Oscars, I think, because it finally was in Redbox, and I'm like, I'll just get it. Um, meh. I just wish, I think he could have, uh, like I said, been nominated for something that's more Defoe-y. I don't that's- know if I'd agree that it's a subtle performance. I think he has his moments of subtlety, but considering that he's trying to, considering he is embodying uh, these emotions and feelings with his entire being, um, he has moments where he's very, you know, forward uh, with what he's trying to get across. And that's not a bad thing. I think that's the nature of this film. So I think he has his moments of subtlety, but I wouldn't say it's a subtle performance um, throughout. Uh, Matthew, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, kind of on that and going back to comparing it to Lust for Life, I think it I think it um appears like a more subtle performance compared to Kirk Douglas's because just because of the style in the film that uh, the style of the way that Lust for Life was made. Um there were no artsy close ups or anything, um or camera tricks. It was just a you know, plainly presented film. And so when that's the case, the actors have to play up their performances, him and he and uh, Anthony Quinn are kind of really showy and, and over the top. Uh, this film didn't call for that because of the way it was filmed, um, which allowed Willem Dafoe to be more subtle, to play Van Gogh more subtly. He has some moments where he, you know, he's um, he's really getting into the mental state and he's, he's more showy, but uh, it's nothing... It's not like it, he never goes, he never does too much, I don't think. Um, and yeah, I agree that it's just a very unique biopic and, and something that uh, really would be, you know, it kind of stands on its own as a biopic. It's not the traditional type that we've seen. I feel like it would work better as a stage play. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we have, I'm going to combine these two questions here because they pretty much coincide with each other from john t and ronaldo sosa if there was just one spot for a performance from an art house film and best actor why was it willem dafoe in a movie no one saw and not critics favorite ethan hawk who literally got everything under the sun when it came to the critics awards uh he also wants to put no shade to dafoe he's my winner of this lineup uh brandon what do you think um i'm not so sure uh Maybe there was just a huge love of Defoe, uh, but maybe this is one of those cases uh, where we speculated before. Uh, maybe Ethan Hawke seemed like such a slam dunk that people decided to vote elsewhere and elevate someone who might have fallen through the cracks. And uh, too many people did that, and Ethan Hawke ended up being the person who fell through the cracks. Uh, perhaps this is a case of that happening, but of course, you know, that's just a speculation i'm not sure how much uh, people loved 
first reformed uh, within the Academy. I know I was a fan of it and Hawk's performance, but I'm um, not sure how well it played with the uh, industry folk. Um, I think there's a few different factors. I think one um, is the fact that At Eternity's Gate was a, was a biopic and um, a first reformed was not. Um, that, you know, biopics, just to be stereotypical, biopics um, attract the Oscars more so usually. Uh, you know, and I, and really the only people standing in Defoe's way were, of getting a nomination were Ethan Hawke and John David Washington. And so he, he didn't have much competition to get through. Um, I think it was love from the previous year. I think it was his momentum from, for the, like I said, the last part of the decade. Uh, and, you know, it was his first, it was a chance to give him his first lead acting nomination. Same would have applied to Ethan Hawke, but you're comparing Ethan Hawke to Willem Dafoe. Uh, it's uh, it's an impressive art house film from Julian Schnabel versus uh, Paul Schrader, who's got his own, uh, who, you know, people aren't going to warm up to one of his films, you know, compared comparatively. So. Yeah, I also want to point out, if everyone remembers, too, in 2018, the two critics' darlings, neither of them got in, which would have been Tony Collette and Hereditary and then Ethan Hawke. Mm-hmm. Um, so both of them really got fucked. I'm still not over Tony Collette's loss here um, of a nomination because it's bullshit uh, that she wasn't there. Um, but, yeah, I think both of you made that point. You both said it right. And then I just wanted to add in as a, re- as a don't forget moment for the people listening. So. All right, let's go into Viggo Mortensen as Tony Lip in Green Book. This is his third of three nominations thus far going into Oscar night. Um, Golden Globe nomination, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, and SAG in Actor in a Comedy Musical. Um, But he wins at the National Board of Review for Best Actor. In Green Book, again, Viggo plays Tony, who is the... uh, the head honcho of his family, Brooklyn Italian man, who decides to take a job driving around Mahershala Ali's character. Um, Brandon, let's talk. I think uh, Vigo Mortensen's uh, Sopranos audition tape is a few years too late. Um, <laughs> this one doesn't quite work for me. Um, kind of in a similar way to uh, Sam Rockwell's performance. It's a uh, it's a little too hammy for me in a way that I can't really use uh, the film's aesthetic or energy to justify. You know, I understand people who say, oh, I know that guy. You know, uh, I I grew up in the neighborhood that he lived in or he's my uncle. I see, you know, that person and someone I know. And um, that's cool. But, uh, you know, that's not quite enough for me. Uh, for mm, I kind of, I was kind of over this character pretty quickly. Um, you know, I'm not going to pretend like the movie itself wasn't a factor in that. Um, I'm sure my feelings of uh, the movie uh, rubbed off on Viggo Mortensen in that way. And so um, perhaps all things considered, uh, it's just not my cup of tea. Um, but I guess uh, it's just a little too much for me. Hmm. Um, I think the film itself is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a misguided projects and project in a year, like full of them. There's several 2018 films, um, a couple we haven't even got to yet that are just, um, that could have been done better or just shouldn't have been done at all. Um, it's, 
an interesting role for him. It, it shows his versatility, I think. His, you know, it's it's a little much. I agree, but um, I just, you know, as I was watching, I kept thinking that I couldn't believe that was the same guy that played um, Aragorn in Lord of the Rings, or that, that was the same guy from Eastern Promises. Uh, it's it he it showed his range a little bit, I thought. And then besides that, though, it's not an impressive performance on its own. I don't think it's great. Um, I think it's just fine. And I don't really have anything positive to say about it. Um, I do get why the film is beloved. I, I get why it won Best Picture. It's it's uh, formulaic and hits the right emotional beats. And it uh, acts like it's really saying and doing something. Um, but uh, I don't think it actually is. I think it's, like I said, it's a little, it could have been done in a better way. Um, but yeah, back to Morton's performance. It's it's serviceable. It's it's decent. It's just not great. Sort of like um, Marshall Ali, but I prefer Ali's performance over his. It's funny, Brandon, that you mentioned the I. You know, I could see this person as you know, this is my uncle, whatever. Um, I like this performance. I think it's a great one. Um, I see it because I am. It is my uncle, without the racism, of course. But um, you remember I've talked about it. My family's right off the boat from Sicily, so this is very. He brings the spirit of that Italian man of that era to life, and I grew up with someone like that. Um, so I I saw my uncles, I saw my cousins in this, um, and I, you know. Again, the film has his criticisms, but I see why he's nominated here, just like I see why Rockwell is nominated. Um, and I think maybe even that plays a big part into why he got the nomination, because people could recognize that person from that generation with someone they grew up with. Um, I, I don't have a complaint for this one, really. Um, I'm, I'm trying to not sound like a broken record, but I'm just like, yeah, I, I, I like this one. Um, I enjoy it, and again, I can see why people have their criticisms, but yeah, I don't find anything wrong with it. Um, we do have, a, a from Ronaldo, a little comment. Also, just an observation, this is Mortensen's first nominated performance in which he doesn't show his dick. This makes me dislike Green Book even more for breaking that streak. So, That's I valid. get it. <laughs> it's a valid point, Ronaldo. We get it. I, uh, I agree with what Matthew was saying. Um, something that is interesting about this performance, if you're looking at Mortensen's uh, entire body of work, is so many of his performances, even just his Oscar-nominated performances, are so vastly different from one another. And um, you can see watching this how great of a performer he is on an individual level, um, how much variety he has as a performer. Um, but this one specifically, it's just a little too animated for me, I guess. I'm trying to think of a different word. But um, it's just, you know, not the style of performance that I find myself gravitating toward. I get it. it yeah, it's definitely one of those things. It's not it's not for everybody. I mean, I guess every performance is like that. But I trust me, I get why I see both sides from people. And that's why I think it, you know, it's one of those performances like you either love it or you hate it. And you love it because it reminds you of someone. So yeah, you, because it's Green Book. I mean, I get it. Trust me. There's so, a lot going on with this yeah, uh, film and you, performance. There, there's a lot there. All right. Let's move on to Christian Bale as the other war criminal, Dick Cheney. <laughs> um, 
This is his fourth of four nominations. This one comes from Vice. Uh, kind of a threat here to win this year. Um, Golden Globe win an actor in a comedy musical. BAFTA nomination, Critics' Choice gave him two. One for actor, one for actor in a comedy, because, you know, they do that. And then SAG for an actor. Um, in Vice, again, Christian Pays plays Dick. Kind of self-explanatory. Don't really have to go into it that much. It's the story of Dick Cheney, yada, 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 war criminal. Okay, Matthew, let's talk. All right. Um, for, you know, first of all, I didn't love the format of the film. We kind of mentioned that, but he, it, I said it worked better for the big short. And it's just kind of, you know, it seems like that is becoming um, Adam McKay's style to present films in this way. And, you know, he's got to, I think he needs to realize that it works sometimes and it's not going to work other times. Um, it, it needed to be a little more toned down and, uh, more put together it just felt like it was kind of thrown together by the end um i was really disappointed by this film i was looking forward to it it was one of my most anticipated movies of that year and i was really disappointed by it by what it turned out to be um but christian bale i think uh really does a remarkable job i do like his performance in this um and as much as i am not a fan not a big fan of sam rockwell's don't like i said don't hate his but um I, I actually like Christian Bale's. I and he's a, you know he's a transformative actor anyway, but he he does it again here. Um, he really nails the voice and the mannerisms, and he um, he's purposefully never showy. He's nuanced and subtle, but he he pulls off um, the goal, whatever you know, if it, if it's a good goal or not, of uh, humanizing Dick Cheney. Uh, you know, Adam McKay obviously had something to say with this, and a lot to say, and he makes those points pretty clear, I think, clearly, I think. Uh, but a lot of that is thanks to Christian Bale's performance. You know, if it was uh, looking at the film itself, like I said, it's kind of disjointed, and uh, it, 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 Christian Bale kind of holds it together and uh, does a better job than, than Rockwell, you know, if I were to compare the two. Um, yeah, I just like the way that he... I think he really committed to this, to this role. Yeah, um, this performance is almost the opposite of what we're getting with Sam Rockwell. Uh, this movie is pretty hodgepodgey in its execution and its tone and, um, you know, or whatever that is. And uh, Christian Bale, I'd say, is more coherent and um, consistent with his performance um, and some cases it almost feels like he's in a different movie um sam rockwell very much matches what's going on here energy wise uh for me whereas christian bale is giving the more um traditional approach uh you could say to the biopic a sort of a disappearing within uh the real life figure and um using the transformation in his body augmented by makeup to uh try to you know create um a, a real life uh duplicate of dick cheney and um i'd say he does it pretty well uh he does some very uh precise things with his voice and his mannerisms it's a uh, you know easy to um i guess you could say forget that it's not the real dick cheney 
um, if you're just looking at the performance and um, not the crazy film that it's in. Uh, so Christian Bale, obviously a very talented uh, chameleon, uh, really disappears into performances uh, from time to time. He's basically the male Charlize Theron in that way, uh, you could say. That's sort of his brand. So, um, yeah, I guess he's doing an all right job. I'm not sure he matches the movie quite as well. And uh, I could see how, you know, some there could be some Christian Bale fatigue uh, with this uh, repetitive, transformative nature that he does uh, throughout his, throughout the last decade or so. But um, I think he's doing admirable work here in Vice. After this past season with Bale, with like Ford versus Ferrari, and after this nomination, I truly for the first time understood what people in the 80s probably thought of Meryl Streep. Like, again, again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I get it now. Um, I would like to point out a couple things. Number one, Bale's got four nominations. Adam McKay is responsible for directing two of those. 50% of of Bale's Academy Award success comes from Adam McKay. Who would who would have ever fucking thought that? That's number one. Number two, did we really need this movie after we got Oliver Stone's W? And was it really that much better of a performance than Richard Dreyfuss in W in the same role? That's number two. Number three, I really find it interesting that these Republican presidents make the most questionable, interesting to really interesting films. Um, Nixon, Frost Nixon, W, Vice. Like, what is it about Republican and, and, and um, administrations that get us going? Which really does not make me that much excited for the 45 movie that we're probably going to get in the next couple of years. Um, interesting point to, you know, just think about. Now, to get to Christian Bale, he's fine. It, it's It's literally Dick Cheney, but is Dick Cheney's story that exciting for a movie i don't i don't know like i said we are we, we already got that in w with this administration um bail as a performance it's good he is dick cheney here um where i think brandon made a really interesting point when talking about sam rockwell i don't even think the actors knew what type of movie they were in which i get with how messy this movie is um rockwell's really really funny bail is really really serious um i don't know i'm just like mixed emotions with this one but i'm not you know it's not bad and it's one of those ones where it's not good i'm very middle of the road um so yeah i guess good for christian bale for racking up four nominations in a decade sure yeah yeah Yeah, i'll just i agree that or i agree that he's kind of better than the film he's in and i and i like the question that was Dick Cheney even worth um, making a film about, you know, that's the thing that should be the overarching question is, you know, um, because I think the answer is probably no, or they could have, they should have spent more time coming up with something better or like figuring out if this was a good project to do. Cause I think it was kind of not fully formed when it was um, put into, put into motion. So I, uh, you know, Christian Bale's not at fault, I don't think, but, uh, yeah. I think Dick Cheney is a, he's an ominous and devious enough presence in modern American politics to warrant a biopic. So I think he is a person who is, quote unquote, worthy of a biopic. 
I just don't know if right now is the time that we needed it, and I don't know if this was the proper way of going about it. Right. Yeah, I mean, outside of Cheney's horrible, horrible war crimes with Bush, I mean, the only thing I ever think about Cheney with is that he shot a dude in the face and somehow got away with it. So, like, make the movie about that hunting trip. That would be more interesting. Sure. So, yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing that I that I like when biopics do is like focus on, and that's what seems to be a trend catching on is they focus on one specific moment, one specific day or a few hours in that person's life instead of covering their entire life. So, um, yeah, that's not a bad idea of the way they should they could have gone. Write me the check. Hire me. I'll write it way better. Yeah. I mean, oh, look at that. <laughs> shit. Vice two. <laughs> Vice two. Shut up. Don't say that. All right. Let us move on to Bradley Cooper as Jackson Maine in A Star is Born. This is his sixth of eight nominations, but this is his fourth acting nomination. Um, in Or I'm sorry, going into Oscar night, nominations across the board. Uh, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, SAG, and for some reason he's in the actor in a drama category at the Globes. Um, in A Star is Born, again, Bradley Pace Jackson, who is an alcoholic country singer who falls in love with a girl, boy meets girl, girl gets famous, boy pisses on her leg at the Grammys, boy dies. You know, the classic Americana tale of two lovers. Um, Brandon, what do you think? I think Bradley Cooper is fantastic in this movie. Um, he completely crafts this character from the inside out, the bottom up, everywhere in between. And uh, I think it really shows he completely takes ownership of this character, uh, just as he does with the film. And it's honestly really amazing how great of a performance he was able to give in a movie that he is also directing exceptionally well. I would say this movie is pretty damn well made. And um, the fact that he's giving this performance within it at the same time just makes it all even better for me. Uh, this character has a lot going on. Uh, it gives Bradley Cooper a lot of opportunities, uh, some really juicy stuff to play with. And um, you can tell that he put in the work, I think for well over a year, I read, he took like voice lessons to learn how to sing and working with vocal coaches to get his speaking voice down. And I think it shows on screen. Um, you can tell that he and the Sam Elliott character are brothers just in the way they speak, the way Bradley Cooper was able to take certain I don't know if nuances is the right word, but certain characteristics of the way Sam Elliott speaks and layered it into his own voice. Um, there is like a, a familial um, connection there. And um, he shows so many different sides uh, to Jackson, Maine, uh, the warmer sides, the colder sides, uh, moments when he's completely in control and he completely loses control. Uh, this is definitely a showcase uh, for Cooper, but not in a way that turns me off. Uh, sometimes we get these showcasey performances and uh, you get some acting with a capital A. And I suppose in a way you could argue that Cooper is, but he's doing so in a way that matches the film that he's crafting 
and uh, he's using the movie to elevate himself and himself to elevate the movie. It's all very cohesive. And uh, overall, I would say this is uh, a pretty solid success for Bradley Cooper. I love this performance as well. Um, I think he's fantastic in this role. Um, start off by saying I haven't seen the 1976 version, the third um, version of the story. I can't say whether this one is an improvement on the take on the classic story where it's about singers rather than movie stars like the first two were. Um, but so I have to take it for what it is. But uh, I think the film worked really well. Performance worked really well. I want to reiterate a lot of the things that Brandon said. Um, Cooper showing skills here that he's never really shown before. He's uh, really brilliant in his singing and his dramatic acting. Um, he shows some range too with the, with his acting, not not the singing, but the acting. Uh, transformative. He's he shows that he's transformative as an actor. Um, I think the film, being the third remake, it was bound to have a sour initial reaction, but it, it you forget all about it when it's as it, as it gets going. Um, because it's so well made and, and Cooper does such a good job. Um, and about him, be, you know, the connection with Sam Elliott, um, you know, you don't even realize until Sam Elliott enter, enters and speaks that, um, you know, this whole time Cooper's been doing, uh, basing his voice on Sam Elliott. Um, and when you realize that it's it's so cool, you know, and, and you, you look back and, and, and then you see how that relationship kind of forms. Um, and it's not a silly parody or anything. It's an homage, more like it's a respectful, uh, well done, you know, aspect of the performance uh, and a deliberate choice that really worked out. Um, and I want to add some kind of, you know, screen time data, kind of nerdy screen time stuff that I, that I have here. Uh, like I said, I haven't seen 76, but I know that in the 37 and 54 versions, which I said were about movie acting, not singing. Um, the Norman Maine, which Cooper changed to Jackson Maine, that role was significantly smaller in those two versions than the um, the female role. And uh, like by 15% the first time, 20% the second time, James Mason's performance is 20% shorter than uh, Judy Garland's. And this time, uh, Cooper's performance is actually 4% uh, longer than Lady Gaga, so they're a lot closer, and his is actually longer. Um, so he gives himself a bigger role here, and it's not just, you know, at a vanity or anything. I think it's uh, he he backs it up with by giving the character um, further development, like with a backstory, with with uh, family connections and stuff. Because you know, in the first, if you've seen the first two, uh, and James Mason's the one people have seen the most, I think. Uh, there's not really much explanation, not much backstory to Norman uh, or Maine, whatever you want to call him. Uh, he doesn't have a backstory. He's just kind of, you know that he had problems drinking. That's about it. You don't know much about him. So I like that uh, as, a, as a writer and a director, Cooper gave the role more, uh, fleshed it out more and uh, performs it really well. It's just all around really remarkable. I have never, ever wanted a voice more to spit on me and call me boy. And that is how Bradley Cooper makes me feel in this movie. Because it is so goddamn sexy, what he is doing. 
um, with that really deep voice and trying to do Sam Elliott. And I'm all about it. Um, that's number one. Number two, there, because as of this episode, Matthew, we're about to go into, um, uh, you haven't heard the the ladies of 2018 yet. Um, so I will say this as a film, I don't, I think by this fourth iteration, it's very stale, this story. I'm not a huge fan of the film. I think the directing is great and the acting is good, but it's like, as a story, I'm just fucking bored with it. And I think this would have been a complete dud had it not been for Cooper, had it not been for his acting here. Um, it's fantastic. Um, you get the full gamut of emotion with him. You get, there's a point where you're, you're rooting for him and then you absolutely hate him with the whole Grammy thing. And, you know, it's, you, you see his frustration and um, I, I don't know if this sounds weird. I think my biggest complaint, and I'm going to lump the directing in here for a second, just because we're not ever going to be able to talk about that one with him. Um, I kind of wish there was a reaction of someone finding Jackson when he died because I just feel like that was a super missed opportunity for his character almost because you really get to travel along that emotional road with him throughout the entire thing. Um, so I, I will say for some reason that just feels like it's wrong to me that that wasn't in there. Um, I think it would have affected me as a viewer for his character or even a lot more. Um, but yeah, I think Cooper is fantastic here. Um, there is, not a moment when he isn't on screen that I'm not just completely engulfing and eating it up and loving every second of it. So yeah, this is a really good one. Good for him. <laughs> I'm going to disagree uh, that we, I mean, I don't think we needed anyone discovering his body or we, I don't think we needed to see him dead because I think if we had that moment, it would have taken away the power that comes with the cutaway during I'll Never Love Again. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I think we're going to disagree on that one. Just, I think it, for me, like I said, it would have been, it would have been so much more devastating had we seen the discovery, especially after, like, the last scene we get with him and his brother, like, if his brother had found him. I don't know. I First of all, I think that would have secured the, Oscar for Sam Elliott having that reaction. But um, as a viewer, I'm left almost disappointed. But again, that's just me. Where do you stand on that, Matthew? Um, I don't think anything should have been added. I'll, I'll mention that, like, uh, I, I, I like that Bradley Cooper added the scene right after that where they don't, you don't see him, them discovering his body, but you see, um, how Lady Gaga and Sam Elliott are reacting to it together in the aftermath of it. They, they have that deep conversation that's mostly led by Sam Elliott. I don't even, I don't even know if Gaga says a word in that scene, but um, there's that, that I think that kind of serves as the, uh, as that moment for me, I think. Um, and it's something that's added to this version. I, I don't know if they do it in 76, but in the first two, there's, it's just kind of, he dies and then fade out and then it's um, Esther or whatever about to go give her um, in memoriam performance or whatever. So there's, it's good that there's something, some emotional reaction scene in the middle there. 
Well, this is the second time you've mentioned the last couple. So I want to get into that because we have a question from Andrew Carden. Where does Cooper rank for you guys among the stars born leading men with Christopherson, Mason, and March? I have not seen the Christopherson version, um, but of the other three, I would probably rank him as my number one. Yeah, I think for sure I would as well as number one. Um, I think my list would go Cooper, March, Christopherson, Mason. I just really don't like Mason and mm-hmm. that Judy Garland version. Um, there's something missing for that character. So, yeah, I would also agree number one. All right. This year's winner, Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody. This is his sole nomination thus far. Wins uh, Golden Globe. Again, for some reason, actor in a drama. Um, BAFTA, Critics' Choice nomination. Wins at SAG for actor. Nominated at SAG for cast. In Bohemian Rhapsody, again, Rami plays Freddie Mercury. And this is the story of... Uh, Queen, Freddie Mercury, and the trials and tribulations of that band. Um, Brandon, what do we think? I'm not a huge fan um, of this movie or of Malik's performance in it. Uh, so much of what he's doing here feels like a kid playing dress-up for me. Uh, I never really buy into the idea that he's Freddie Mercury, um, I'm not exactly a, a queen scholar or a music expert. Uh, basically, I just know as much as maybe the average uh, music listener. But um, it feels very surface level to me. And uh, perhaps that has a lot to do with the fact that Bohemian Rhapsody is simply a poorly made film. And there was you know, a lot of drama behind the scenes uh, that took its toll on the way the movie was shot and how it was all put together. Um, perhaps if there had been a better director behind the camera the entire time and uh, had put a little bit more care and craft into the film, uh, Malik could have been elevated and a little more um, coherent in the performance. Uh, but. Uh, with the way it was done, Malik feels very choppy to me. And um, it seems like he's just sort of drifting along at times, while also giving me this impression that he's trying really, really hard. And it's a bit of a turnoff for me as a viewer. It seems like he, he really wants this in a way that doesn't feel sincere to the performance. So um, there's a lot of negatives uh, in, for me when it comes to this performance in film. So um, I'm going to hand it off to Matthew for now. All right. Um, yeah, I, I agree that uh, with a lot of what you said, I, I don't think there's a lot of positive things to say about um, Alex's performance. I do agree that he's trying a bit too hard and, and he's, kind of uh, miscast. I, I don't know who, I can't think of anybody that could have played this role. I think it's a film that um, deserved to be made. It could have been told a little better, the story. But, um, you know, uh, Freddie Mercury is definitely somebody that, that deserves a biopic. Um, it just it was, uh, it's kind of a misguided project the way it turned out. Um, yeah, and, and, I, and I really think he they could have found somebody better. 
But, you know, I, I understand why the film is loved by so many people, by general audiences, really. It's, it's um, you know, if you look at, like, audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb, it's it's pretty high. And it's it managed to get eight nominations and everything. People were, um, the film Twitter really was kind of up in arms about that. But that's another one where, you know, um, the general audience will love something and, and critics won't. Um, it's, you know, it's, it, again, it's a type of formulaic biopic that has succeeded so many times before. Um, from a critical standpoint, though, it has some pretty glaring flaws. Uh, and it shouldn't have been told. It should, it should have had a more artistic viewpoint. It shouldn't have been so formulaic because that's not the type of uh, person that Mercury was. Uh, but, you know, one thing point, I want to point out being the editing, the editing of this film is something a lot of people talk about. And it's one best editing controversially. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard, but I've heard that the choppy editing in some of the scenes is a result of the surviving members of Queen wanting to, you know, ensure equitable screen time in those scenes, not in the whole film, because Freddie was going to have the most in the whole film regardless. But um, in the film, in the scenes that they shared together, the other three wanted to appear on screen like exactly the same amount. So, uh, you know, they they obviously had probably a little too much control on that kind of stuff, and it hurt the film artistically. Um, it's, yeah, as a queen... For a Queen film, it's really too overly sanitized and artificial, and that's what you know a lot of the critics say about it. Um, I don't directly blame Malik for his lackluster performance. I think it's just part of the whole misguided project. I don't think he, you know, really should have been a part of it. Um, you can see how limited his skills are here, and he's he's not a bad actor, but he's kind of pushed too hard here, and he can't keep up. I don't think. Um, he he couldn't have pulled it off if the role had been more a dr been a more dramatic, deeper take. And I don't think he should have been the winner for sure. He shouldn't have been rewarded. Bottom line, um, yeah. Um, I I find it interesting because for the longest time, Sasha Baron Co Sasha Baron Cohen was attached to play this role, and it always makes you know makes you wonder like what could have been. Um, trust me when I say, like Green Book, I also see the issues that people have with this movie. If you go into this movie just as a Queen fan, I think you really enjoy this movie. That's why I think the movie was such a big hit. I mean, this movie dominated for weeks at the box office. Um, it almost reminds me a little bit of the success of Love Story in 1970. That was It was just such a box office juggernaut that it carried it all the way to the Oscar stage. Um, and remember, this was a very big possibility of winning Best Picture this for this year. If I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure it was between this and Green Book, right? Other, well, besides Roma, yeah. Um, I think it was pretty close. Roma didn't have a shot in hell. Um, <laughs> that was never winning. Um, that was winning film Twitter. That was never winning the Academy. Um, <laughs> so this was, you know, this was picked apart by film Twitter and critics. And then I find that interesting too, that it was beloved by the queen fans approved by queen and the people who had the biggest thing to say about it were the critics. So it's like, what? so again, I see where people are saying now M M Malik here isn't 
bad, but it's one of those things where it's not great. You know, people are like, the lip syncing, the lip sync. I'm like, yeah, but people love Jennifer Lopez in Selena and that bitch lip sync. Um, was the storytelling better? Sure. But you can't say that you, you're pissed at him for lip syncing when people love those same people will go back and be like, but, you know, I love Jennifer Lopez and Selena. Like, pick, pick a lane, people. Pick a lane. Um you know, of course, the teeth are ridiculous and yada, yada, yada. But, like, if you really just go into this performance as a Freddie Mercury fan, then this should suffice for you as of now. I'm sure they might do more. Um, because, it's again, it's not bad, but it's not great either. Um, it's, again, one of those middle-of-the-road performances that are just like, oh, I think the biggest thing – and you might disagree, and I'd be interested to hear what you guys say. But I think the biggest thing that people say about this is with every – else in this lineup like how did this particular one carry every fucking award um that is except the critics choice that is something that i have to ask myself what was it was it rami's performance or was it the love of freddie and queen um we'll never know i guess because he won and nobody else did and they don't release the tallies um so it's interesting to be to be honest I have a feeling it has a lot to do with the love of Queen. Um, so yeah. I'm vaguely familiar with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's history um, with this uh, project or whatever other Queen project he was attached to. It's my understanding that the reason he dropped out of that and that version of the story dissolved is because of the surviving members of Queen. Um, yeah. They wanted this sanitized version, as Matthew was saying. They didn't really want the movie to play into the things that made Freddie Mercury particularly important uh, to pop culture, to music, and to queer history. Uh, mm -hmm. They really wanted this very safe for general conservative audiences movie where they were equally important in the scenes that they were featured and uh, they were on. They were uncomfortable with it becoming the Freddie Mercury show, uh, very selfishly, um, in my opinion, if what I have read is true. Uh, because this movie, uh, since they seem to have gotten their way, plays like a made-for-TV VH1 film. Yes. It's very point-by-point -point biopic, safe for television, safe for the boomers who grew up with Queen, who probably largely don't care about Freddie Mercury's queerness and everything he did for the queer community and uh, HIV AIDS awareness and all that. It's um, I think Matthew's word of sanitized is very appropriate. Uh, it f at times reads as though this movie and the people behind it do not respect the importance that came with Freddie Mercury beyond the voice and outside of the recording studio. Um, it's a little too restricted, uh, this film. But people who just love the music, um, sure, they were probably always going to love this. It could have been, um, well, I was going to say it could have been a lackluster film, but it, it already is. And audiences were going to probably flock to it regardless. It was probably always going to be a success with audiences. Um, but um, Things happened. Uh, the band was a little too involved. Uh, crazy stuff happened behind the scenes, and um, we got what we got. And uh, unfortunately for you know 
film enthusiasts, it's uh, not what it should have been. Who's by a train? That's me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like listening to Brandon. Brandon, I hear you. Sorry. I hear you. I was just like, who the fuck? <laughs> Um, no, Brandon, I agree with you because too, I mean, you think about even la- last year, the better biopic of Rocket Man. It was better by far in every level. I mean, still, Taron Edgerton should have won and should have been nominated for lead actor, in my opinion. Um, I mean, at least the Globes got it right. But it's like he suffered because of this fucking movie and it's bullshit. I think that's my biggest thing about it is like the better of the two didn't get shit. Um, so, yeah, that, I'm just mad about that. <laughs> not only is Rocketman a better film and not only is Taron giving a better performance, but one of the fundamental differences is Rocketman completely embraces who Elton John is and why he's important to not only music, not only pop culture, but to the queer community in a way that this movie, Bohemian Bohemian Rhapsody, doesn't really do at all. Yeah. Yeah, Taron and Richard Madden got fucked last year of nominations. (sighs) Yeah, I just think it's a strange situation that kind of leaves a lot of questions. Um, It shows that those surviving members of Queen aren't aren't very self-aware because they, uh, and that's the difference between Rocket Man and and Bohemian Rhapsody as well, is because is that one is about a band, one's about a solo artist. Um, so there's not that infighting going on, even though Mercury is not even a part of this. Uh, he's you know, but um, that's the thing. You know, this film was approved by Queen, but would it have been approved by Mercury? Probably not. Um, and I don't know if it would have even gotten made or would have been put in development hell for longer because they might have disagreed over how to present the story. And uh, like I said, they're just, they just don't seem to be very aware that he was, he was not just their front man. He was, he was, he represents queen for most people. Like most people don't. Um, and that's the way with a lot of bands, but especially queen Freddie Mercury was the iconic, you know, personality that people still, um, you know, are familiar with and for them to kind of see themselves as equal to that or their lives um, being worthy of being told an equal amount to his is kind of really weird to me. It doesn't make sense. It's kind of, I think that's what, I think that's a huge part of what um, kind of ruined this movie. Yeah. Understandable for sure. Um, I get it hundred percent. Uh, really quick, we have a comment from Jenny Schmidt44 who looks at this lineup of winners and just asks, how the fuck did this happen? So, <laughs> just wanted to throw that out there. And Queens, before we get to the rankings, a word from, well, me and our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to share a bit of the spotlight with, I don't know, Meryl Streep, Jessica Lange, Angela Bassett, and maybe hopefully one day someone like Aquafina, or play a game where Daniel Kaluuya is on a team? Well, this year, Queens... You can, thanks to today's sponsor, The Star Draft. As the listeners already know, Hollywood Awards season is finally almost, almost here, and God knows it's a long one this year, and The Star Draft lets you be a part of it like never before. What is it, though? Well, I'll tell you. It's a little like fantasy football. I don't know what that is, but I do know that it meets the Golden Globes, and I definitely know what that is, and here's how it works. Head to thestardraft.com to create a league to invite friends or join a public league to make new ones. Draft a team of 10 actors and musicians, musicians who are actors or actors who happen to sing. I don't care how you do it. Just do it. 
Do you think Olivia Coleman is going to sweep every awards show this winter? Draft her. I know she did the last time. She did really, really good. Hashtag the favorite. Before every nomination and award show, set a lineup. Every time your actor or musician earns an accolade, they earn your team points. Then sit back, relax, watch the awards ceremonies as you, I don't know, drink a beer, eat some nachos, fight with your grandma. I don't care, but rehearse your acceptance speech. The site's top scoring team at the end of Oscar night earns a cash prize. Hey, you may not walk away with an Oscar, but you will walk away with cash in your pocket. It's 100% free, and because we love the Star Draft and you all so much, well, most of you, we've created a public league that you can join right now. Seriously, join us. All you have to do is sign up and join our Academy Queens League at thestardraft.com. That's www.thestardraft.com. We look forward to beating you all award season long and probably beating you more than others. Love you guys. Uh, shall we move on to the rankings? All right. Well, uh, your supporting actor nominees, as a reminder, were Mahershala Ali for Green Book, Adam Driver for Black Klansman, Sam Elliott for A Star is Born, Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Sam Rockwell for Vice. And I'm putting Mahershala Ali at number five for Green Book. It's um, not just about category confusion for me. Again, I'm really on the fence about it. I see the arguments both ways, uh, but Mahershala Ali is just so, so talented, and this movie is really not giving him a whole lot to um, showcase in that regard. Um, and then, you know, there is the category confusion, so I'm not disqualifying him, but um, I'm not super enthusiastic about this one in general. So Mahershala Ali is my number five for Green Book. Uh, my number five is Sam Rockwell for Vice, and... Um... Yeah, I kind of made that case clear when I when I spoke about him, but I just don't really see um, him as a, as a worthy nominee. I don't hate the performance, but I just don't think it's I think it's the worst of the five for sure. Heard um, number five, Mahershala Ali, category fraud. Therefore, I am disqualifying. Sam Rockwell is my number four for Vice. Um, this is really just not my kind of performance, uh, even if I can rationalize why it kind of sort of works within this wacky movie. Um, it's just simply not my cup of tea. So Sam Rockwell is number four for Vice. Uh, my number four is Mahershala Ali. Kind of the same reasons you guys have is that he just doesn't have a lot to do. The category fraud doesn't apply in my case, of course, because I think he's where he is supposed to be. Um, but yeah, it's just not a very impressive performance and it, it doesn't stand out among... There's, there's better ones in the category. Heard that. My number four is going to be Adam Driver. Very forgettable for this nomination. I just, I can't tell you, I, like I said, I can't connect the dots to what he did to nomination. And as I kind of stated earlier and was very much alone in my camp, if I'm going to put someone in supporting from Black Klansman, it's going to be Topher Grace and not Driver. So Driver's got to go four. Adam Driver is my number three. Um in the film and in my lineup, he's just very middle of the road for me. I think he's doing some fine things. He's giving a very competent performance, but uh, it doesn't exactly leave a mark in really any way. So Adam Driver is my number three for Black Klansman. Uh, my number three is also Adam Driver for Black Klansman, and kind of the same reasons. He's he's good. He's he's. I think he's. It's a pretty good performance. Um, but just not. It's it's very middle of the road. He's he's not um, 
doing enough to deserve a win for sure. Um, so yeah, that's kind of why he's in the middle for me. My number three is going to be Sam Elliott. Um, heartbreaking where it needs to be a great, great supporting nomination in the vein of what I think supporting nomination should be. Um, but with the final two, they're just giving me a little bit more. And uh, yeah, Elliott's got to go number three. Sam Elliott is my runner up for A Star is Born. Um, love that Sam Elliott, after what, decades of being in this industry, was finally able to receive a nomination. And I love that it was, he was able to flex some muscles that he perhaps doesn't get to show very often, uh, being, you know, the Sam Elliott persona that we're all so accustomed to. But uh, Richard E. Grant and Can You Ever Forgive Me is my winner because he is just everything and more. He's the entire ice cream sundae in this movie and um he leaves a delightful mark on every scene he's in um while being able to contribute to the scene as opposed to stealing it uh and it's pretty much a perfect supporting turn uh in my opinion so uh richard e grant's my winner for can you ever forgive me um number two i have richard e grant can you ever forgive me um very close second place i'd say i i Really love that performance. Um, he just comes in second for Sam Elliott to me, uh, who is my winner, because um, I just I just really really love Sam Elliott's performance for a lot of reasons. One of them being that he's uh, like Joey said before that he's he's just a one of those supporting performances that really is those short ones that that's like really feels um, like a true supporting performance, and he does so much with it. I just the craft of it is what really um, impresses me is that he's able to do so much in so little time. And um, I just, I just love that one. Yeah. That's, a, that's my winner. Um, my runner up is going to be Sam Rockwell, which means I also agree with Brandon that Richard E. Grant should have been the winner here. Let me start with Rockwell. Um, clearly I like him better than you guys. Um, his George Bush is just weirdly charming. And I can't say that for George Bush himself. Um, I feel like I could throw a rock at George Bush and he wouldn't realize it until like three days later that something hit him in the head. And yet I can't help but love that about him because he's so fucking stupid. And Rockwell plays to that parody of stupidity. And as we all know how I am with comedic performances, you're most likely going to win if you're a comedy or a comedic actor being in a nominee or a nomination here but i gotta go with the better of the two comedic nominations and that's richard e grant um like i think i for me i explained it earlier he's the drag mama but the gay mama that we all kind of well hopefully that you get um and i wanna fuck up the streets of manhattan with him that's how i leave after watching can you ever forgive me plus two paired with mccarthy it's it almost reminds me of a really weird gay Abbott and Costello. So, yeah, I got to go Richard E. Grant. All right. As a reminder, your nomination or your nominees for leading actor were Viggo Mortensen in Green Book, Rami Malek in Freddie or <laughs> Rami Malek in Bohemian Rhapsody, um, Willem Dafoe in At, At Eternity's Gate, Christian Bale in Vice and Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born. My number five, my last spot is actually going to go to Willem Dafoe. Um, At Eternity's Gate, not really my type of movie. This performance is way too subtle for my liking to the point of 
I just don't know what's going on here to garner this nomination. And yeah, I got to give him number five. Matthew? Uh, my number five is Rami Malek, the winner in um, The Human Rhapsody. Um, just because I don't think he did a good job. Um, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> Rami Malek is also my number five uh, for pretty much the same reason. I don't think he did that good of a job. Uh, the performance never really comes together for me. I never really buy that he is who he is allegedly playing. And um, it's just a failure of a performance uh, and a, of a film, in my opinion. So Rami Malek is number five for Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, I'll agree with you guys that he is pretty low because he is my number four. Um, I just feel like I get a little bit more from him than I do Defoe because at least I can see where he's trying. Defoe, I just didn't get. That's why he's, you know, at five. Um, Malik has everything going against him in this movie and how he won. Just I just don't get it. Um, but at least he's a little bit more memorable for me. So I got to go put him at four. Uh, four, I have Viggo Mortensen for Green Book. Um Decent performance, but just, just not very impressive, not very worthy of being any closer than that for me. Um, he, he does all right and, and shows some range as an actor, but um, not good enough to get towards the top for me. Vigo Mortensen is also my number four. Um, I can see why certain people um, see this performance and see someone they know. Uh, I don't personally have that um, connection uh, with this character and um, Viggo Mortensen is great as an actor and other things uh, but for this one it's just a little too hammy for me and um, like uh, Rockwell it's just not my cup of tea when it comes to uh, performances so uh, Viggo Mortensen's my number four for Green Book. My middle of the road is going to Christian Bale for Vice. Um, don't love it, don't hate it, um... Yeah, there's nothing else I can say about it. It's just it's very I'm very neutral on this, and again I just really don't think that uh, Dick Cheney was worth a whole goddamn movie. So there he is. Um, my number three is also Christian Bale. Um, he my I'd say the remaining three are kind of um, closer to me, closer in in quality for me. Um, definitely separated from the from the bottom two. Um, but so I wouldn't say Christian Bale's like smack in the middle i would say i like the performance more than i dislike it i appreciate what he's doing and i and i kind of am fascinated by the transformation but um yeah he's he's definitely not as good as the remaining two well we all agree that christian bale's number three uh he's giving a pretty cohesive performance uh for the most part uh, Christian Bale, you know, is definitely a pro when it comes to these uh, transformative performances. But I guess that comes as a bit of a double-edged sword because here in this movie, he's not really surprising me in any way. Uh, he kind of does exactly what I expect Christian Bale to do in a biopic. And um, unfortunately, it just doesn't quite rise to the occasion in the way that um, the other two that I still have do. So Christian Bale is a uh, number three for Vice. My runoff this year is going to be Vigo Mortensen, which means I'm giving Bradley Cooper the Oscar. Um, Vigo is very high for me here, again, because I do connect with this character in the Italian sense of it. It feels very homey to me, minus the racism. Um, and I and I can really see what 
uh, Mortensen is doing here, especially because all three, like I think it was Matthew who said it earlier, all three of his nominations couldn't be any more different or his acting style. And I think that really goes to show you the broad stroke of acting that Vigo can do. And I think it's really, really good. Plus, to to be honest with you, I also think that he was second place runner up here just with the way the Academy reacted to Green Book. So I think if anyone was going to upset, it was actually going to be him. Um, so there's that Bradley Cooper though, is on a whole nother goddamn level of this entire lineup. Um, deserve this win. Do not fathom how he, he did not have this in the bag. Um, and if there was ever truly a bridesmaid at this point, I think he is the Thelma Ritter of our time, um, when it comes to the amount of nominations, um, plus more. Uh, but yeah, uh, Cooper, fantastic, should have won. A Star is Born would not have been what it was if it wasn't for him. He should have won. Matthew? All right, my number two is Willem Dafoe for At Eternity's Gate. Um, and I just, you know, I love that performance. I love him as an actor. I think he really commits to this role and, and you know, lets us see um, this well-known figure in a, in a unique way. Um, I like what Brandon, I like Brandon's points about um, it, it's clear that he and uh, the director were kind of working together to make this what it was, and um, he's just an active part of in it as the as the director. Um, so I can I can see you can you can literally see all the work he's doing, and it's such great work. Um, and then my winner though is uh, Bradley Cooper as well. Um, a lot of the same reasons you mentioned. I think he, you know, did did made this story that's been told so many times um, feel kind of fresh by adding in some new um, elements and playing those so well as an actor. Like, we're you know, we're talking about the acting award here. So um, re disregarding his directing and writing for a second, he his acting is on its own is, is fantastic enough. And um, like I say, he's showing some skills that uh, that he hasn't shown before. He's, he transforms into kind of a different role than he's ever had. Um, so yeah, that's why he's my win. Well, uh, Matthew and I have the same ranking in lead actor, uh, because Willem Dafoe is also my runner up. Um, I really like how Dafoe and Schnabel are practically scene partners in this movie. Uh, it's almost as though Dafoe's co-star is the camera and, um, he plays to it so well. Uh, I love how he and the, his filmmaker, are able to really elevate um, the heart of Vincent Van Gogh in this film, and it's uh, quite tremendous in that way. But um, Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born is quite simply a triumph. Um, like Matthew was saying, even if he weren't the director, even if he were just playing this part exactly the way he did it, um, he would still be my winner. Um, it's just extra special that he was able to... Uh, helm the film as well. Uh, he's doing everything here and um, he's showcasing all of his talents without you know, shoving it down your throat in the way that some other actors might. Uh, so yeah, this, uh, this really should have been Bradley Cooper's win uh, for best actor in my opinion. And as a recap, uh, I gave it to Bradley Cooper and Richard E. Grant. And I had Bradley Cooper and Richard E. Grant as well. And I have Bradley Cooper and Sam Elliott. There we go. Uh, Matthew, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. This is enjoyable. For sure, for sure. Where can people find you on the interwebs? 
Um, Twitter is what I use the most. It's just Matthew A. Stewart. And um, you can find the link to the Screen Time Central website there. It's just screentimecentral.com. That's where all the um, screen time data is that I've uh, published. And always adding to it, always taking requests and building up the, the data. So, uh, Kudos, by the way, on the Vanity Fair article. Right oh, up yeah. On. Thank you. Thanks. You're welcome. Matthew, keep doing your thing. Uh, you are one of the most important people on film Twitter right now with all your little facts and figures. Mm -hmm. And uh, I enjoy all of them. Even if I'm not, you know, the screen time queen here, I still enjoy uh, mm -hmm. your data. Mm -hmm. So thank you. thank you for all that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, boys, on the count of three, let's give a big farewell. Ready? One, two, three. Farewell. 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 <laughs>